I'm Blake Hargreaves, and this is Future Stops. You're hearing a performance by the musician known as Charlemagne Palestine. Born in Brooklyn in 1947, Palestine's career spans six decades, during which he's kind of done it all. From playing hand drums at poetry readings with the likes of Allen Ginsberg and Gregory Corso as a teenager, to helping reshape American contemporary music in the 1960s alongside people like Terry Riley and Philip Glass, he also played a role in developing some of the first commercial synthesizers, and since the 1970s has continued exploring the sonic potential of the pipe organ in churches and concert halls around the world. Today on Future Stops, we visit with Palestine to discuss his fascinating life and career. As a multidisciplinary artist, he's explored many avenues in his long history of making music. Just don't call him a composer. I don't like that, that word. I, never, I try never to use that word. I, I don't know why, but the word, maybe because I've seen too many people who are composers and been to concerts that are sort of dry. And the, the word over the, since, since I was young, I, I never enjoyed that word used in context with what I do. So normally I always say something like sound artist. I don't know. I mean, I do a lot of things. Uh, I've done, I like to call myself these days a Gesamtkunstler. A Gesamtkunstler is a word which means uh, uh, an everything artist. It comes from uh, the time of, uh, of even Wagner. And um, so, so it's a, 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 like a Gesamtkunstwerk is a total uh, uh, artwork or uh, musical work or theater theatrical work. So I like to call myself sometimes uh, a Gesamtkunstler, which in German Kunstler means artist, so it means like an everything artist. started early in New York City. I was born in Brooklyn and I went to a whole lot of different schools in uh, New York City. Um, I went to uh, Parsons School of Design. I went to uh, the New School of Social Research. I went to Manus College of Music. I went to uh, a little bit to Columbia University, New York University. Um, uh, I went to Pratt uh, which is an art school in Brooklyn. And then I eventually, in the late 60s, when I was already about 23 years old, I was invited by, uh, uh, from Columbia University, uh, from um, New York University by a, a, a composer of electronic music called Mort Zabotnik. And he invited me and a whole bunch of others of us to California to a new school that Disney family had um, a, a big endowment to make called California Institute of the Arts. And then I moved to California for some years. Then I came back to, to New York. 
But um, I started as a, a singer of um, uh, musics from Jewish background, because I'm from a Jewish family. Um, and from, then, I, then I got involved quickly with Indian music, and I started to sing Indian music, and I fell in love with drones from the Indian tambura and harmonium, and uh, that was the sound side. And then I started to invent a music, which in those days it seemed like there were a whole bunch of us who either knew each other or didn't know each other who were inventing a kind of continuum music and some of them eventually because of Tom Johnson the, the reviewer of the Village Voice in those days and composer um, uh, used the word that they used for um, visual artists um, minimal art he began to use that word for people like me which is again another of the bugaboos I hate that word was I, I mean, I do deal in continuums, and sometimes my works were four or five, six hours long, and sometimes they use similar intervals, but they're always, in, in my works, I always feel like they're always in transformation, and I'm always looking for the maximal effect. So that word always turned me off, and it made me think like when you're in a, uh, a taxi and you don't leave... Uh, the taxi man, any tip, that's, that's the minimum for me. Already very early, go, going back to the continuum and the drone and the uh, harmonium and the um, uh, tambura, uh, as we are talking about the organ, already around 1966, I began to um, put little pieces of cardboard between the uh, keys of organs. And I loved to hear them sonorize for hours and hours. And I was only about like eight, 17 years old. And that was my first response to that, to, to those instruments. Um, I played the bells, a carillon is what they call it. Um, I got a job when I was at the High School of Music and Art, even before my universities and things. I went to the High School of Music and Art in New York City. And um, one of my girlfriends turned me on to a guy who played the bells next to the Museum of Modern Art on 53rd Street Fifth Avenue. Um, I played that every day um, for people who were walking down the streets of Fifth Avenue, um, and I invented a music for it. That started around 1964. In that uh, church, 
of course, it, it has one of the, the most beautiful organs in New York City, and they w uh, wouldn't uh, let me touch uh, that organ. But I did get to know um, during this whole period, I became a sort of like um, um, an apprentice for organ tuners. Uh, and so I used to, so I didn't get to be where the keyboard was, but I got to be up in the kitchen of the machine. So anyway, Bell's got me to organs, not in the keyboard, but up in the tunings. And so that again, that connected very much with how synthesizers work, uh, because I loved uh, using oscillators to um, build my, scenar my, my continuums back then. And then it turns out, I mean, that an organ ha can have, some organs can have thousands of oscillators, which in uh, uh, synthesizer world, if you had, like I had in, at the time when I was at CalArts, maybe 20 oscillators, that was over, you were, you were, you were already Santa Claus, you, you had, but uh, for, an, uh, for organs, uh, if you, imagine each uh, pipe, there can be thousands, uh, sometimes what you call a sound, a timbre in an organ is made from four or five uh, pipes at the same time that creates the particular flavor, color of the sound. So it was inevitable that I would fall in love with the organ at a very young age, but because of my alternative way of looking, my alternative way of thinking, my alternative way of talking. I was not um, organist kind of person. In the 1960s and early 70s, Palestine's unconventional approach, while not really appreciated by the organ culture of the time, was highly sought after in the early days of the synthesizer. It was these experiments in electronic music that ironically led to his first opportunities to perform on the pipe organ. Over the years, it turned out that gradually people who began to hear what I was doing, especially in Europe, were amazed at what I was able to get, make sounds do very simply by their own chemistry, that they would find organs and people in churches that would allow me to work and do some important um, experiments, which happened in the late 70s for the first time in a place called Delfzale in the north um, eastern part of the Netherlands. that I had the ability to go to this little village and work for a few weeks and create what would become known uh, as my famous uh, gobbledygook title, uh, Schlingenblangen, which actually doesn't 
mean anything except that it was in the days I was a student of the days of Zanakis and Stockhausen and uh, Feldman and Cage and uh, Ligeti. They all had these blopsical titles. So I was jealous. I said, well, I can have a blopsical title too. And so I created Schlingenblangen with an even umlaut on the on the blang in a uh, second word. If you look on the internet and you put Schlingenblangen, you find the work of Charlemagne Palestine since the 70s on the on organs all over the world. So be, that nonsense word became the title of my investigation. It isn't, and again, the, uh, against the word composing, it's not a composition, it's an investigation with that title, meaning that every organ I go to and I do a Schlingenblingen, it's a way of discovering um, experimenting with the instrument as it is and trying to create over a certain period of time in the architecture of either a church or a theater where that particular organ is. These investigations are more than just musical. For Palestine, the process of making music is a sacred, divine ritual and is directly connected to the sacredness he finds in the everyday objects all around him. Everything I touch like the Midas touch, for me, comes sacred. Um, for, for, for me, that, that I am an artist of the sacred. Um, even if I use things that some people would say, but well, that's ridiculous, that's not sacred. Uh-uh, yes, I just touched it. It's sacred now. And, and I'm not joking. <laughs> So the, the sacred part of working in churches was not the problem. That I always respected. And I, as I spent many of my early childhood, like singing in synagogues, uh, which is a cappella, you can't even have an organ or a piano or a, an instrument. The voice is the only instrument permitted. But I was already, for me, architecture, I even preferred to to play or perform in um, churches or in industrial spaces that have the kind of resonance like churches do and not in theaters and concert halls that are drier. And I find, and the seating, everything's so formal, I actually prefer to perform in sacred buildings of which, of course, the most popular and the most abundant uh, are churches. Some churches give me carte blanche that I can at least transform it for an afternoon or an evening, or but some are very uptight so I can only uh, transform my keyboard or um, uh, 
and different elements. Sometimes I like to do little ceremony with crystal glasses and some uh, alcohols, uh, which is perfectly in the um, uh, same vein as the communion, but exactly that sometimes that um, frightens uh, people of the of the church uh, that they're that I'm doing some kind of alternative um, communion which doesn't fit into their system, and so maybe it's subversive, which. It, I don't believe so, but that, so I have to always play with these possibilities of, but less and less, I mean, I must say less and less, because churches are trying to be hipper and hipper. A perfect example of one of these ritual performances can be heard on his recent album, The Organ is the Greatest Synthesizer Ever. It's a live recording that transitions from solo voice to percussive pipe organ, to playing sustained sounds for color and texture. A performance that seems to mirror the trajectory of his own life in music and was shaped by the realities of the organ he was playing. In Upen, um, came across this organ that had many, many problems. And it was uh, set up that I would do a performance in an afternoon. I had very short time to rehearse. But... Immediately, I felt this, and I already have 50 years of experience with all, all different organs all over the world. So, And all the organs are different. So I'm used to the difference. I'm used to doing it in a, I don't have months. I sometimes do it in hours. Sometimes I have a couple of days, but often I have only a few hours. And that's what I had in Upen. And this organ and I just hit it off. And everything that it couldn't do, I finally realized I didn't really need. And everything it could do was superb. In the, and so I did this performance, not at all imagining that it would uh, sometime after come out. I was just trying to get through that Sunday. I think, damn, I hope that I'll be able to do all the things I want to do before it either dies or uh, die, meaning like the sometimes the blower uh, of, a, of an organ that hasn't really, that's a little bit tired. If I play too many notes, I don't hurt it, but it the, the blower goes and eventually it needs to, to be uh, looked at and, and re repaired. But, uh, um, but um, nothing... Uh, ill happened uh, and um, afterwards they sent me the recording and I was shocked because I was just trying to get through this performance and give the people, because it was a full house, but it wasn't such a big church. There were maybe four, three or 400 people in young people, <laughs> again, if I may say, um, in this uh, church. And um, they sent me a couple of weeks afterwards, the recording, and it was magical. So, and that happens from time to time that I, um, I quickly find the magic in the instrument, the stops, the, the pipes, and I try to transform them the least possible. All I do is, is put them into continuums.
Well, the system I'm what you're normal. I have a few sheets of, uh, of normal A4 um, paper or a little booklet, and I quickly like try out all the or or organ in this case and see which stops are working, which ones aren't. Uh, I I bring little um, paper circles that you can write on um, uh, and. I number the different um, the, the 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 keys and the stops. So I, I test their overtone um, and the intensities. I start with the ones which are the the quietest and the calmest, and then gradually I add. But I do that already very quickly, so I know while I'm. Uh, performing, I go from one to two to three to four to five to six to seven to eight, uh, and I've already tested. So I know that gradually it will, unless I want to do a performance that is uh, not so like the waves start small and then they get larger. Sometimes then I can go from two to ten to from eight to to 30, uh, uh, which sometimes I've done. It depends the energy of the space and the time. So this piece, the, the organ is the greatest synthesizer ever. Is it an improvisation? Did you have a lot of time to prepare uh, with that uh, organ? That's another word I don't like, uh, improvisation. They use it for everything. I, I always thought there should be more words for when you don't do something, reading it from a book or from a score but they never did come away with many versions. So, yes, I, as I was explaining, I didn't know, first of all, that the organ had problems. And, and when I arrived, they said, uh, oops, uh, we didn't tell you, but this organ has problems. And so I've, it's not the first time, as I have explained, I've been with so many organs and some of them have problems. And, so I try to work around these problems. And so I had known, not a, a long time, but I didn't, I created a system very quickly, followed my system of continuum and created a, an event. Some of the registers didn't work at all, but it just happened that all the registers that did work were the kind of registers that I loved, and they they did beats and combinations that were beautifully poetic, which I didn't play. I just uh, my favorite is when there are sonorities that I let. Um, continue together and they play themselves and you think you're hearing like arpeggios and enormous amounts of fluctuations that I'm not doing at all. The sounds are doing it with themselves. <laughs> What happened is at the end of this performance, which I have started to, to do over the last few years, 
while everyone was clapping, I said, the organ is the greatest synthesizer in the world. Or and that's how I ended the performance. I don't like when people clap right after uh, an hour of like sacred, like um, magical music. So I often do what I can to, to not yet give the sense that it's over. So there were like maybe 30 seconds at least of silence before the clapping. And as people were clapping, I spoke of, as I do lately, uh, say that the organ is the greatest synthesizer ever. And that became the title of the disc.
You're listening to the Future Stops podcast, an initiative of the Royal Canadian College of Organists. I'm Blake Hargreaves, and I'm your host as we explore the world of the 21st century organ. We just heard today's feature piece, an excerpt from Charlemagne Palestine's The Organ is the Greatest Synthesizer Ever. On the surface, Charlemagne Palestine has very little in common with musicians of the past who spent much of their lives like him on the pipe organ, like J.S. Bach. But his connection to the craft from the age of 15, when he was playing carillon concerts daily on the Upper East Side, and his mastery of a personal system of the sacred, occult, or numinous, just like Bach's deep use of numerology in his works, shows us how much they really do have in common. What do they say? The beauty is in the ear, eye, or ear of the beholder. Everybody, Bach, everybody's gaga. And it's very beautiful music. So, I mean, I also love the musics of Bach or other composers of church music. Sometimes I find that they're a little bit overbooked, if anything, that there's not enough imagination now in finding alternatives or complementaries to traditional sacred music. We're talking about organ, so let's say organ. But um, gradually there are people from a new generation, like, uh, like there's Michelangelo and there's Mark Rothko. There are people who like only the things that came from long ago, but there are also some interesting new paths that artists created more recently. And they're not always the same um, appreciator, let's say. And also, that was another thing that I didn't like about the composer thing, is that there can be a, a, a an evening of performance that starts with Bach, a Beethoven, then a Tchaikovsky, a Mozart, and then a, a Charlemagne Palestine. And when you go to performances like that, and I go to it with my, my wife, we go to a lot of traditional performances. It's always the new work, like everybody's coughing, because it really isn't their thing. And to just hear something for the first time done after you've heard all these other like great giants of the history of music, it isn't really fair. <laughs> so I've been always, that was another reason I, I um, avoided and invented a system where I can play either with other people of my generation or have an evening all to my own. And uh, that works better because then you have the time to enter my world without itchdy bopshdy boopshdy uh, from one era, one genius to the next. And I'm somewhere in the middle. Or not only me, but any musician, composer of now. Charlemagne Palestine's artistic world reminds us of the essential point of art, to express ourselves and offer to others not only the opportunity to partake in enjoying that expression, but to give others permission to express their secret truths as well. Every time someone shows who they are in a performance context, the world becomes a better and more interesting place. We look forward to having the opportunity to see Charlemagne Palestine perform again when that is possible. And this concludes our first season of Future Stops. 
It's been wonderful learning so much about the creative and fresh approaches that artists and organizers are bringing to the pipe organ and its audience all over the world. We're looking forward to having you with us for Season 2, which begins in September. We'd like to thank Charlemagne Palestine for joining us on Future Stops and all of the guests this year. If you'd like to learn more about Palestine's music or any of our past guests and their projects, all of the links and info can be found on our social media pages. We have a Future Stops podcast Facebook page, an Instagram account, and our Twitter account is at Future Stops Pod. We hope you'll join our community in one or all of these places so we can keep in touch while preparing our next exciting season of stories about the world of the 21st century organ. Future Stops is a podcast from the Royal Canadian College of Organists, produced by Andrew O'Connor, with Haley Raymond as community manager and executive producer Elizabeth Shannon. I'm your host, Blake Hargreaves. Thank you for listening. <laughs>